Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 28th. Before we get into our Australian Open Day 9 recap, I want to let you listeners know that today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Diadem Sports. We at Crack Rackets are so excited to begin this new partnership with Diadem, their rackets, their strength technology on the forefront of all the innovations that we think will be going down in this new decade of tennis. Look, it's not just our word. Take the words of professionals Carousel, Seku Bangora already using Diadem rackets on the professional tour. And if it's good enough for them, you know it's good enough for you. Aquatic blue as Rothman matches our own Max Rothman's eyes beautiful shade of racket so aesthetically you'll be looking good you know your tennis will be improving and again uh, that relationship between a player and its racket so important his or her racket excuse me so important uh, if the strings aren't right if the racket isn't right you're just not going to be feeling good on the court so we think our friends at diadem will help you feel your best out there and if you use our promo code cr50 you will get 50 percent off all of your purchases and Look, you'll look good, you'll feel good, and you'll know I have a little more money in my wallet. So that will certainly add to your uh, your feeling on the court. It will certainly influence you to be playing a little bit better. That being said, what a day of tennis we had in Australia. Quarterfinal action underway, so only four singles matches to talk about. And that does feel a little bit weird. Again, the wind down of these slams, the come down, should I say. It is a lot. You get so used to talking about 32 matches, 64 matches. You're like, oh my God, which ones are we even going to break down? And then all of a sudden you only have four left. So let's enjoy this Australian Open as it heads down the home stretch. Of course, there's plenty of other you know, junior events, doubles events as well for anyone who needs their tennis fixed throughout the late Australian night. If you're here in the States, wherever you are watching this tournament, uh, but really only four singles matches for us to break down today, and it's just going to be me steering the ship as Jamie, unfortunately, uh, busy with work, couldn't get away for today's lunch mini break. That being said, I think we all know the match I have to start with, and that, of course, is number three seed Roger Federer's five-set win over the unseeded tennis Sandgren Federer, taking a 6-3-2-6-2-6-7-6-6-3 victory to advance to a semifinal showdown with Novak Djokovic. Now, where do you even begin with this match? Uh, the starting point I'm going to go with, Roger Federer, not only was he down two sets to one, he fought off seven match points, and any time you face the gauntlet of seven match points and you're able to overcome that, it's an impressive win. It could be the first round of a challenger. It could be, you know, a qualifying event in a futures. It could be your local, you know, your local 3-5-4-0, match. That's a really impressive feat. Now, to do that on the grandest of stages in a major quarterfinal, Roger Federer, the number three seed, an overwhelming favorite entering this match, despite the fact that at age 38, he had obviously been physically stretched and tested throughout the opening days of of this tournament, and it, what was so surprising about the uh, the start of this match was how quickly Federer seemed to jump on Sandgren. Didn't break until I think three all in that first set. Maybe it was four three Federer in that first set, but in those first two service games, Federer was on top of the Sandgren serve. He earned himself multiple breakpoint chances. It seemed like everything was going to stay the course while Sandgren was doing a good job of. Ex- uh, extending, extending Federer to the outer thirds of the court, trying to make the match as physical as possible, trying to break down the 
38-year-old Roger Federer. It just looked like Federer had too much juice, too much firepower. And you look at the stat, the stats from that first set. I mean, for Federer, just so good on serve. Won 71% of his first serve points, 73% of his, or made 71% of his first serves, won 73% of those points, 67% of his second serve points. For Sandgren, it was the exact opposite story. He only was making 46% of his first serves, winning 85% of those points. So again, the pathway for him to winning easy points on the first serve, getting Federer extended, was there. And yet on that second serve, only 5 of 15, 33% in that first set. That's a number I want you listeners to keep in mind. Uh, and then the flip, the script flipped completely. Federer, he did, uh, you could tell he tweaked his lower back. He took an injury timeout. There's a lot of things, you know, injury-wise, it's, it's always hard to speculate, but you could just tell Federer was not 100% fit out there. And to Tennis Sandgren's credit, he took advantage of that. You'd look just overall at the stats for Sandgren. He hits 73 winners against 53 unforced errors, wins 161 total points uh, uh, compared to Federer's 160. Tennis Sandgren, on seven occasions, this isn't even an exaggeration, on seven occasions, he was one point away from winning this match, and the Australian Open was kind enough to post a video of all seven of those match points for any of you listeners who want to go watch that on YouTube. After watching it, look, uh, I think someone made the pun, and it's too soon to say this, but from, you know, Sandgren coached by Michael Russell. Michael Russell had match points on Guga Quirton at the French Open all of those years ago, Um, so I suppose someone made a coaching joke there. That's ridiculous, but when Sandgren goes back and looks at this film, I think the match points he's going to regret the most on the first match point and the fourth match point, that was in the five four Feder- or four five Federer service game at the end of the fourth set. He had two extended points, two physical points, and towards sets three and four, Federer really was not moving all too well. Uh, where he got, you know, the the rally went 10, 11, 12, 13 shots, and Sandgren got clean looks. He had extended Federer all the way out wide on the ad side uh, for some backhand slices, and he had two clean looks at backhands down the line, both of them just clipping the net tape. And, you know, there's another one, I think the sixth match point, which is in the breaker, uh, Fed hits a volley winner after Sandgren hit an approach, and sort of undercooked his first volley, so Federer followed it in, uh, went back at the Sandgren feet, Sandgren popped one up, Federer puts the volley away. That one hurts as well. I mean, there was, a, yeah, I think, one or two other unforced errors, but more forced errors, I would say, than unforced, um, but makeable shots for Sandgren. But those three in particular are the ones that he's definitely going to kick himself. And for a guy who hit 73 winners against 53 unforced errors, I, I don't even think he played tentative. He just missed those backhand shots, and you could tell in that fifth set it was weighing on him. You look at the percentages there. I mean, for Sandgren, he goes 4 of 14 on break points during the match, but doesn't earn himself a single break point in that fifth set. He did take a 15-30 lead in that final Federer service game, but Federer coming up with the goods uh, too too much in that game. Uh, gets out of the jam, obviously serves out the match. But for Sandgren, 24 of 53, 45% on the second serve for the match, and I think that's the thing Roger Federer did well, even though he wasn't moving his best. He just he does the thing he does best. He attacks, he attacks, he attacks because he's able to read and react so well. He's comfortable moving forward, even if his approach shot isn't you know 100% effective. In this match, 47 of 70, you could tell Federer needed to keep points short. To, you know, the, the longer the point went, the more it favored Sandgren. It's how he got to the seven match points that he earned in this matchup. Uh, but for Federer, 44 winners, 56 unforced errors. Again, he won one last point, but 
he did enough to win the match, and he did such a good job protecting his serve in that fifth set. I mean, you could tell the crowd, they were just screaming throughout that fourth set tiebreaker, demanding more tennis. Federer taking that 10-8 victory in that uh, fourth set breaker, uh, giving the fans exactly what they want. And for Federer, I mean, how often do you see this? We had a line judge catching Roger Federer swearing at himself in the back of the court, and that line judge has an obligation to say, hey, I got to go tell the chair umpire that what I heard, you got to get warning. So Federer gets a warning from the chair umpire. And I mean, grouchy Roger Federer, I feel like we may see it more and more as he gets older, as he's like, oh my God, I got to go home to four all, you know, ably minded kids who all have thoughts of their own. I'm going to be grouchy on the court regardless, just because I have to be a parent too. Um, And you could tell it got under his skin a little bit. And yet he did just enough in this match to survive now. How much he has left in the tank for Novak Djokovic, we can discuss that more tomorrow, but I mean, for him to escape with this, to get to the semifinals here, age 38, again, the draw broke perfectly for him, and he took advantage for it, and at this point, you're Roger Federer, all you can ask is for a shot at the guys like the Djokovic's, the Nadal's, a shot in the semifinals of the majors, and that's what he's going to get, so fantastic tennis from Roger Federer, it's what we've come to expect with him, you know, even if he's juicing at this point, I'm not accusing him of doing it, but do whatever you got to do, my man, to stay out there at age 38 because it is just so impressive. What a what a performance from him. Three and a half hours on court. And, I mean, poor Tennis Sandgren, who, again, second major quarterfinal for him. You look at where he's in at the live rankings after this. He jumps all the way up from number 100 to number 56. Uh, that's not his career high, but he's right back now in the strike zone of, oh, nice, I can play all ATP tournaments. I can play qualities at the Masters events if I need to, if not get in directly. Perfect start to his 2020 season. So, Great stuff for Tennis Sandgren. He'll kick himself. He's saying, for every match point, is it a double shot I have to take? Um, Maybe, uh, especially in a major quarterfinal. Uh, But don't hurt yourself, Tennis, because you've clearly set yourself up for a really fun 2020 season now. Uh, That was the only match that went the distance, but there are still three other quarterfinal matches to discuss. We can roll through them fairly quickly. Uh, Let's start with the other blockbuster matchup on paper. Ashley Barty, the number one seed in a rematch in the women's singles quarterfinals, taking on last year's finalist and number seven seed Petra Kvitova. What a first set we were treated to in this match. They go to a breaker. Ashley Barty ends up taking an 8-6 decision in that one. And for Ashley Barty, we talk about it all week. We've talked about it for the past, you know, 13, 14 months since she's really taken this rise in the singles game, worked her way up to the number one uh, position in the WTA singles rankings. I mean, talk about a talented player, whether it's the, you know, the slice backhand, her all-court game, her comfort moving forward. That's a testament to her playing doubles throughout her career. Just so talented and so physically gifted as well, how well she moves around the court, particularly when you're playing an opponent like Petra Kvitova, who will go Mach 5 with a backhand. Mach 5, obviously, with her forehand down the line cross-court. If you give her, you know, an extra second at all to get a clean look at a ball, she's going to go big, and she did just that in this match, but... Ashley Barty just so creative, so many different ways of stretching Kvitova or working the slice to keep the ball low so she couldn't just have the ball sit perfectly in her strike zones or for Barty moving forward, taking time away for Kvitova. We saw it all in this match. We also saw, once again, a bunch of break point chances. Now, Petra Kvitova, she's got to be kicking herself because she went down an early break in that second, but in that first set in particular. I mean, so many break chances for her. She goes 2 of 12 overall on the match versus Barty's 4 of 8. 
for Kvitova. I mean, she held Ashley Barty to 11 of 31 on second serve points. Making a first serve in this match was so important because, you know, both of these players, such skilled returners for Ashley Barty. Uh, you know, she holds Kvitova to 14 of 31 on the second serve point. So what it came down to was who made more first serves in this match? And the answer was Ashley Barty. She goes 53 of 84, 63% of her first serves in, wins 74% of those points. For Petra Kvitova, only 40 of 71, 56% of those first serve points goes in. She won 63%. But when you're playing someone like Ashley Barty, that's just not enough first serves to get the job done. You know, winner unforced error-wise, this was a pretty even match. Barty, 20 of uh, 20 winners, 28 unforced errors. Kvitova, 28 winners, 38 unforced errors. Obviously, Kvitova had to play a little bigger from the baseline uh, because that's the way she wanted to attack Barty. Although, for Petra Kvitova, not too bad herself. 10 of 16 at the net versus Barty's 4 of 6. Uh, but but the, the big thing was Ashley Barty looked comfortable not only hitting through the two-handed backhand, but that she could work in the slice, that she could work in lobs, her different passing shots. And, you know, Barty's backhand was the weaker side. She goes minus 10 in terms of winners plus forced errors versus minus unforced errors. You know, only one forced error from her backhand ground stroke, 11 unforced errors on that side. But she also did a really good job of pressuring the Kvitova backhand. Kvitova, seven winners, five unforced errors against 16 unforced errors on that backhand wing. Uh, she also limited the total amount of damage uh, Kvitova could do with her forehand in general. Uh, for Kvitova, 13 winners against six unforced errors, but also 15 unforced errors on that ground forehand ground stroke side. So, I mean, Ashley Barty survived. That's what she's been doing all tournament, finding different ways to win because she can be so creative, because she has so many different weapons. Uh, she's got the game where she can win five, six, seven different ways. And, you know, in a game where you see the, the overwhelming powers of the Osakas, of the Andrescu's of the world, obviously, of the Serena Williams as well, the Petra Kvitova's even, Ashley Barty's, you know, if they're zigging, she's the zag. She's got the defensive game. She can also move forward. Just so many skills at her, uh, in her arsenal. And so, really fun player to watch. And, um, and even more importantly, I think she was, what, the first uh, Australian player to make the women's semifinal uh, here in Australia in quite a bit of time. So, Tremendously excited for the Australian fans. Tremendously excited to see her uh, take advance to the semifinals here. Continue to solidify her spot as one of the top, if not the top player in the women's tennis game. Uh, that being said, uh, let's move quickly to our other men's singles quarterfinal as well. Someone who else is certainly at the top of their respective rankings list. That, of course, is the number two seed, Novak Djokovic, who after, who takes out Milos Raonic in straight sets 6-4, 6-3, 7-6. And for Milos Raonic, and this is from my friend at Paul T. Tennis, Paul Timmons on tennis Twitter, Milos Raonic faced seven break points throughout the entirety of his first four matches here in Australia. Novak Djokovic in this match, two of 16. He didn't just double them. He more than doubled the opportunity, the breakpoint opportunities, and you can understand why for Djokovic, just the best returner. I mean, I'd throw Murray right up there as well, but his return, it just neutralizes everything. You can, it doesn't matter how hard you blast it. If Djokovic gets his racket on it, it's going deep and it's going in the center of the court. And like, good luck hitting a big plus one forehand if you're Milos Raonic when Djokovic takes away your time and gets that serve on you before you can even run around and load up your big forehand. I mean, for, for Milos, 19 of 37 at the net, 51%, a guy who wants to serve in volley so often. Uh, 
it's a it's a credit to Djokovic who only set the net eleven times in this match, wins ten of them, but was just the more efficient player. Makes sixty nine percent of his first serves, wins eighty six percent of those points. Doesn't get broken throughout the entirety of this match. Uh, holds Rayonich to twenty of forty seven on the Rayonich second serve. Now Milos did a good job of attacking Djokovic's second as well. Djokovic only fifteen of thirty one on those points, and you know. If you think Milos Raonic has a good return, Novak, wait till you see this guy, Roger Federer. I don't know if you've ever played him before, but he'll jump on a hanging second serve like no one else. And particularly when his legs are hurting, he's going to be looking to end points quickly. Uh, but what a performance from Novak, who just winner to unforced errors. 29 winners against 14 unforced errors for Milos. He was 48-48 in terms of that ratio. I mean, Djokovic was just the more solid of the two, and that showed, and it's why Novak Djokovic, since losing that set to Struff, he's looked better and better and better as this tournament's gone on. He's the defending champion here for a reason. Uh, he did take a medical timeout at 4-all in the third, but it was to change his contact lenses. Uh, so in terms of injury concern, there, I don't really think there's a long-term effect there, although I don't have contact, so maybe that is something that can screw with you. And honestly, I think that's the only thing that could uh, slow Novak Djokovic down at this point because he has looked so good uh, throughout these first five matches of his Australian Open campaign. Someone else who's looked spectacular, maybe the unsung young hero of this tournament. And, you know, I, I mentioned this yesterday, as quiet as we've been about Alex Zverev having all the success he's had to get to the quarterfinals, one could argue the exact same thing about our semifinalist here, Sophia Kennan, who knocks off Own Jabour 6-4-6-4 to advance to the first semifinals of her young career at a Grand Slam I mean, Sophia Kennan has just been so, so good, and I know she ran up against Coco Goff, so obviously that was a headline match that we talked about uh, in the moment, but for Sophia Kennan in this tournament, I mean, straight sets in her first three matches, then she drops that set to Goff only to win here in straight sets against a player in Jabour who had been red hot throughout this tournament. I mean, the firepower for Jabour, the talent she has, the different ways she can hurt you from the baseline, from the net. It didn't matter because for Sophia Kennedy, she's just so steady, so solid, so many skills in her arsenal. And it's why I think this matchup between her and Ashley Barty in the semifinals is going to be really, really interesting because to beat Sophia Kennedy, you need to blast her off the court. You just, you know, you're going to need to take your chances. You can tell for Jabour, 34 winners against 36 unforced errors against versus Kennan, who was 14 and 16. Uh, Jabour, 16 of 18 at the net. She won 72% of her first serve points. But then you get to the second serve. Sophia Kennan holds Jabour to 10 of 27, 37% on the second serve. For Kennan herself, she makes 72% of her first serves, wins 64% of those points, 55% of her second serve points. She just does everything really well. It's the slice. It's the drop shot. It's taking balls early. It's throwing in defensive lobs. It's just there's nothing she's uncomfortable doing on a court. And I think movement-wise is probably the weakest of Kennan's skills. And she's still a fantastic mover. So, you know, you can hit her off the court if you have the power of, I, I mentioned this match earlier, a Danielle Collins who did that earlier this season. Or, you know, the players like the Serenas, the Pliskovas of the world who just, bla Osaka's who go blast, 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 blast. Uh, but Ashley Barty doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to, you know, just blast you off the court. She wants to work you around the court, and that's exactly what Kennan wants to do to her opponents, and it's exactly what she did here against Shabour, not letting her get set, uh, changing up paces, changing up angles, drop shots, as I've mentioned, elevation. Uh, she varies her tactics. 
it's going to be a really, really, really fun match uh, in that semifinal against Ashley Barty. And for Sophia Kennan, it's the steadiest of rises. I mean, last year she wins three titles. She makes a fourth round at the major to start off her 2020 campaign here. Uh, she advances to her first semifinal. You look at uh, where that's going to get her now in the live ranking. She, she is up to a career high of number 11 right now. A win in the semifinals would get her all the way inside that top 10 up to number 9 where she would jump players like Petra Kvitova and Naomi Osaka to get there. And to be honest, you know, she may not... This is probably her first big slam slam. I mean, it's not probably it really... I mean, she. this is her first deep, deep, deep run at a slam, but for the 21-year-old, it was a long time coming. So she belongs in the same breath as all of these players she's with in the rankings, the Sabalenkas, the... Uh, Benchiches and rescues of the world. She, I mean, she hasn't won a slam yet, but she's done everything else. So to me, this is not a surprise to see her make it, uh, this deep of a run. And again, I look forward to doing those semifinal breakdowns uh, when we talk about them on tomorrow's podcast. Before we get there, though, we have to finish our back half of the quarterfinals, and that's what I want to preview now. Uh, five, four more quarter five quarterfinals nice hey great shot to me four more quarterfinal matches tonight in Australia uh, depending I guess tonight if you're on the east coast if you're in Australia it's during the day uh, but you look at those matchups let's start on the um, women's side where I want to talk about uh, Garbin Muguruza taking on Anastasia Pavelchenkova now of course in Garbin Muguruza you have a player who has looked so good throughout this home stretch of the tournament. You look at her past results. Uh, she dropped that first set strangely to Shelby Rogers 6-0, and then from there 6-1, 6-0, three sets against uh, Tomjanovic, but then 1-2 over Svitolina, 3-3 three three over Kiki Bertens. We've seen this run from Garbine Muguruza before. She's a two-time Grand Slam champion, and we know why. It's because when she plays her most powerful, her best tennis, combined with her movement, her size on the court, she's able to take balls early uh, in ways other players can't, leveraging her length. You know, she's six foot tall, and, you know, that's, that's an advantage for her, obviously. Uh, versus a player in Anastasia Pavlchenkova who has been pushed to the brink now these past three matches over and over and over again. 7-5, seven, 7-6 seven, over Taylor Townsend, 6-6 six, six over Karolina Pliskova, 6-7, six, 7-6, seven, seven, six, six, over Angelique Kerber last round. You know, Aval- uh, Pavlchenkova made the semifinals here last year, and to even get to the quarterfinals to defend those sorts of points, without a doubt, that's a victory for her. And even if she loses this next match, you look where Pavlchenkova is right now in the ranking. She, you know, isn't going to drop off too much. She's going to drop, I think, from 30 to 33rd in the rankings. And considering she had semifinal points to defend, I mean, first of all, she wins. Uh, she gets all the way up to number 25 in the rankings, which would be a jump for her uh, to start uh, at the start of this year. But just to stay in that top 30 range, victory for her no matter what. And I'm not saying she's going to take this lightly because obviously she's there to win the Grand Slam. She's 28 years old. And now's her time. Uh, but but Garbine Muguruza has played better and better as this tournament's gone on. I think she's the fresher of the two players. You look at their career head-to-heads thus far. Uh, Muguruza, a 4-1 advantage over Pavlchenkova. Pavs, Pavs beat her in Stuttgart last year, 7-5 first set, and Muguruza retired. Uh, but the four matches they've completed, Muguruza's won all four. Uh, she never, They've never played at a major, but they've only gone three sets one time. That was Miami 2013 when Muguruza knocked off Pavlchenkova 4-6, 6-2, 6-2. 
I just like the way McGruth is playing. I, I mean, Rothman and I talked about it on Sunday, and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. She, she's she got that experience. She's, you know, she's won the major. She knows what it takes, and her level continues to improve. I just think matchup-wise, you know, she can hit just as hard as Pavlochenkova. She's going to move her around the courts, and I just don't know for Pavlochenkova three, so, you know, three really tough matches back-to-back-to-back. You're going to get another one here versus, again, the fresher Muguruza. And at this point, the margins are so thin that the the slightly fresher player does have an advantage. So I'm going to roll with Muguruza as my pick on that one. Uh, Our other WTA semifinal action tonight, another really fun one, Uh, Simona Halep, who, again, inches closer and closer with each major she plays to winning all four. She's got the French under her belt. She's got Wimbledon under her belt. Now she's got a chance to get uh, to another Australian Open semifinal. She takes on Annette Conteve, uh, Conteve in her first major quarterfinal of her career. These players have played twice before. Halep owns a 2-0 advantage. Uh, both matchups came in 2017. Halep a straight set winner in bo- on both of those occasions. And again, you look at what they've done so far throughout this tournament. Simona Halep has yet to drop a set, not against Mertens, Putin, Seva, Dart, or Brady. You look for Conteve. I mean, she's been, uh, I know that that straight set win over Benchich Owen won in the third round was crazy. But Iga Svitek gave her a Svitek, I, a Svitek, I apologize for butchering that pronunciation again, but Svitek gave her everything she could want and more in that fourth round. Uh, Conteve, a 6-7-7-5-7-5 winner. I mean, Simona Halep just, looks locked in. And so this is no disrespect to Conteve, who certainly has the weapons uh, to hit Simona Halep off the court. She's going to have to be patient. She was patient against Svitek as well. Um, But I just, I think Halep and Muguruza have been the two best players on the bottom half of the draw. It's obviously or on the top half, wherever they are. And I know that sounds obvious. They're in the quarterfinals, but I just think they're on a collision course. They just Those are the two best players. They're the two players who have been there before. It's the match I think we deserve. And I'm going to, uh, not that Annette Conteve does not deserve to be here. She has played fantastic as well. But I just think Halep, too quick, uh, too many different ways of surviving against Conteve, a more refined version, uh, Halep, a more refined version of Svitek. I mean, just physically what Halep's able to do, I think she takes it to Conteve, who may have some quarterfinal jitters. It is her first Grand Slam quarterfinal, but... Simona Halep has just looked locked in all tournaments, so I'm going to roll with her as well. Her and Muguruza, my picks, to make the semifinals on the women's side tonight. Let's quickly go through the men as well because, obviously, those are going to be some really fun matches too. Rafa Nadal, take the number one seed, taking on the number five seed, Dominic Team. Nadal, fresh off of his four-set victory over Nick Kyrgios, while Dominic Team, a, a fairly uh, straightforward straight-set win over Gael Monfils in his last match. You look at the career head-to-head, Rafa leads 9-4, to and it's easy to understand why. A lot of their matchups coming in clay finals. On those instances, Rafa, you know, he beats him in the French Open final these past two years. Uh, team did beat him on the clay last year in the semifinals of Barcelona. Uh, I think we all remember, and if you don't, go to YouTube right now and watch that U.S. Open quarterfinal. Rafa played and ended up knocking off team in 2018, 6 That was one of the all-time battles. I mean, to 6-0 Rafa Nadal in a set in a major speaks to how well Dominic team was playing in those moments. But look, the the uh, all of their hardcore matches, they've played well. Of their 13 matches, only one has come on a hard court. All of the others coming in the late stages of some sort of clay event. And that Rafa was pushed to five sets on a hard court against team. 
I think that's telling. I, I know Rafa, the lefty, goes into the team backhand. All the patterns you've seen Rafa employ against Roger Federer, you think they apply in this one as well. Uh, but they really don't because while Federer likes to move forward and, and not that Dominic Team doesn't want to volley, but Dominic Team is plenty comfortable playing six, seven, eight feet behind the baseline, just slamming the ball away with Rafa. I know ball changes are every seven games, but I feel like we should be doing it four or five in this one because these balls are going to get fluffy fast. Um, and it's going to be a really fun match. I do think, you look at Rafa, that was a physical four-set battle against against Nick Kyrgios and mentally draining as well. And I know that's really the first test he's faced all major long. But for Dominic Team, he's gone the distance once against Alex Bolt in that second round, four sets against Fritz, and then three sets here against Gael Monfils. But I think he's just a guy who has looked better and better and better as this tournament's gone on. And not that Rafa's ever looked bad, but... Uh, you know, it's it's just, again, we saw it with Federer tonight. I mean, Rafa's 33 years old. It's a hard court event. We know two weeks on a hard court, what that can do to Rafa's body. He's probably still a slight favorite entering this one. Again, he has those inherent advantages of being a lefty, firing into uh, the team backhand, knowing exactly the patterns he wants to employ. But this is my upset alert pick of the day. I think Dominic Team. Uh, you, again, I've referenced this before, but watch his YouTube ATP, my, you know, off-season training program. He literally discusses the fact that he's like, hey, I, I think this is the year that we get a new Grand Slam major on the ATP side, and it's awfully tempting. I, uh, that's the sort of stuff you know we love hearing here at Cracked Rackets, and I just, I don't know, I just have this inkling that Dominic Team's going to be able to hang with Rafa Nadal, you know, shot for shot tonight. I think Team's been serving really well. I think Rafa, excuse me. With his, it, Rafa's been playing great. I, there's no reason to doubt Rafa. I, this is more a testament to team's level right now. I'm going to take team in five. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm sorry for not doing much breakdown. I think we know how this match is going to work. Rafa's going to go inside in with the forehand to the team backhand. He's going to try and go cross court with his back, uh, forehand to the team backhand. He's going to try and go backhand down the line to the team backhand just to open up forehands for himself. But Dominic Team's going to slug away. You can't give Dominic Team space. Otherwise, he's going to take that space, go big down the line, and now all of a sudden you're on the run and he's yo-yoing you around the court. I'll take the upset. I'm going to go Rafa and f- uh, I'm going to go Team in five, mostly because I have it in my Turnitopia. So why not stick with the picks I had to? Uh, I started with, and then our last match, maybe the most interesting uh, one of the night. Number seven, Alex Virev seeded, uh, going to take on the number fifteen seed Stan Wawrinka. Wawrinka coming off of a five set battle again, win upset win over the number four seed Daniil Medvedev. He's going to take on an Alex Virev, the number seven seed, who's twelve for twelve in sets thus far, and. Uh, you know, I think he's the only guy to make it to this stage who hasn't dropped a set. And to say that about Alex Virov with all of the drama he's had at the majors, that's probably the most promising start of any 2020 season uh, in terms of storylines we expected, particularly after his poor performance at ATP Cup. I don't think this is an upset. I mean, we saw what Stan's capable of. The level of tennis he played over those final two sets against Medvedev was just special. But did you watch Alex Zverev against Andre Rublev, listeners? I mean, 
He found Rublev's backhand. There was not a single Rublev forehand. He didn't try and succeed in tracking down. And if you've seen how hard Andre Rublev hits the ball, uh, I mean, it was a testament to how well he was moving. I think he won like 90% of his first serve points yesterday. And the serve has looked better and better and better as this tournament's progressed for Zverev as well. You look at their career head-to-head, Zverev 2-0, though they haven't played since the 2017 Miami Masters. Uh, both of their matchups have come on hard court. Both of them three set wins for Zverev. It could be a close one, but at the same point, again, you look for Stan Wawrinka. He's been pushed to the brink now twice in this major. Four sets against Sumer in the first round, but five sets against both Seppi and Medvedev. He did get the retirement midway through that second set against Isner, but the recovery time for the Stan Wawrinkas of the world, I mean, Stan is 34. It's just, it's not going to be as easy for him to recover from that sort of five-set battle as it may have once been when he, you know, knocked off Djokovic all of those years ago. And I just think Alex Zverev has looked so good this tournament. If he's serving well, uh, he's going to give Stan fits. There's nothing he enjoys more than absorbing your power and redirecting it right back at you, Stan. You know, just as big of a slugger as Rublev was the round before. So playing style-wise, I know Stan's got the one-handed backhand, and he'll probably throw in more slice. But, you know, it's a very similar game style, same sort of attacking pattern from Wawrinka as you saw from Rublev. So I think Zverev's ready for that, and... I think he's my pick, and so my best bets of the day, I have two for you. Uh, if you're going with my picks, and I feel fairly confident today that I'm going to be right, which means I'm going to go 0-4, and I apologize for that. Uh, but the bet of the day, if that's your sort of thing, 10-1 to 1 parlay, Zverev, Team, Muguruza, Halep. I know all of those things have to go right, but those are tasty odds. Now, if you think Team over Nadal is too, is too uh, risque, if you that's just not for you, you want to go the Nadal path, that's fair. I respect that, and I'll tell you. The Halep, Muguruza, Nadal, uh, Zverev parlay, 4-1. to one. So maybe that's the easier play. Maybe you throw 10 on both. Either way, you're winning some money. So uh, I'm, I'm fairly con- I would say Team Nadal is the one I'm least sure of, but I feel fairly confident in the Zverev, uh, in the Halep, and in the... Uh, ultimately, oh my god, I'm blanking out. See, this is how many matches we've had. Now that we're down to four, I'm like, there should be a 30-second match I'm forgetting about. What am I missing here of my last one? And Muguruza uh, over Pavlochenkova. Uh, so, that'll do it for today. I do want to mention real quickly on the podcast note, obviously everyone's all in right now on Australian Open, but we do have some non-Australian Open tennis coverage going on on our other podcasts, on our Cracked Interviews podcasts. Uh, we talked last night with Braden Schnur about his 2019 season. You know, a year ago around this time, he was making that Newport Beach final. Uh, since then, he's made a New York Open final, two other Challenger finals. He's cracked the top 100 for the first time in his career. And I wanted to ask him, you know, what changes in his game, what changes in his approach to the game, all of these different things have led to him having this sort of success. And of course, after another year on tour, what has he learned? We talk about a big thing he's been outspoken about, the need for an ATP players union uh so we talk about all sorts of things it's really fun i also run him through of course my gauntlet of changes for college tennis to get his thoughts you'll like his response to the uh amendments i have to how you remove hooking from the game of college tennis so really fun podcast there great shot podcast wise we previewed the ita kickoff weekend so it was only right that we recap it i believe chris matt and i will be doing that later tonight so be on the lookout for that podcast tomorrow course we'll have preview content for the ita national indoor men's and women's where our cracked racket events which our cracked rackets team will be at uh in the upcoming weeks as well and if you've missed any of the content of course you can find it all on our website crackrackets.com like rate subscribe review this podcast the gsp cracked interviews podcast as soon as you do it i get to stop asking so 
you know, it's for all of our sakes, please. A shout out, as always, to the super producers as well, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do. Again, just because it's only Australian Open doesn't mean the rest of the tennis world stops. So, you know, go check out that Newport Beach Challenger. Uh, I think there are two quarters where it's like Giron, Corda, um, let's see, Giron, Corda, uh, Escobedo and Klon, uh, Schnur, Cressy, Kwiatkowski, Gomez, and another. What's crazy is that only two of those eight guys are going to make even the quarterfinal round at this Newport Beach event. So Stevie Johnson in the draw, Fritz, Tiafo, anything you can want, I promise you can find it at, at Newport Beach this weekend. You know, you'll get the tennis at night in Australia, but you need something to fill your day. So livestream.com backslash ATP. As you guys know, the unofficial sponsor of this podcast, that's where you go to find all of that stuff. Have to give a shout out one more time to our official sponsors, Diadem Tennis, and of course, 50% off if, uh, your purchases there if you use our promo code CR50. Our friends at Aerobar, the first tennis-specific energy bar, use our promo code CRACKED30 to get 30% off. Start eating right so that, you know, come 2021, we'll be talking about you, the listener. Hey, did you hear this guy went on an all-Aerobar diet and now he qualified for the Australian Open? Yeah, it happens all the time. Remember the other guy who did it? You know, he, he said he was gluten-free. This is pretty much the same thing. So, you know, Aerobar, gluten-free, it all gets the job done. But for my super producers, Max Fligger, Daniel Westhoff, and from our enti- from our sponsors, Aerobar and Diadem, from our entire team at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. 